0: It's, it's been no news for, Man for, Man for a lot of times that a basketball home the facility would be a great addition for it. I doubt that a person listening to this podcast is not ecstatic about the arena really coming throughout Tennessee and had an with a chance to support the battery as a player. That's how you lose by 28 home. It has the worst scoring margin maybe a negative 15 in the 21st century. And, and by the way, the, the tone of this is different, guys, because like I said, I have to talk about it today. Tubs of the Club, your official, unofficial podcast at the University of Idaho Vandals. I'm your host today, Brian. You can download Tubbs of the Club on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or TubsTheClub.com. On today's episode, we're going to go over the University of Idaho's most recent two losses to Northern Colorado and Eastern Washington, update on what the Big Sky Tournament picture looks like, but first, we have some big news in the hashtag AskTATC department. This comes from Chris Hammond. You guys know Chris from football. But remember, if you have any questions, University of Idaho related, can actually be about anything. Um, I'm great to answer the basketball questions, but I'll go for the football ones because remember, it's always football season in the world of college sports. But Chris Hammond sent a hashtag AskTATC in citing a February 11th article from Chad Cripe. Forgive me if I pronounced that last name wrong. Spelled C-R-I-P-P-E. I'm going to call him Chad Kripe from here. February 11th, article from Chad Kripe of the Idaho Statesman reporting that the University of Idaho has delayed its pursuit to the board, to the State Board of Education, for approval to begin building the ICCU basketball only facility. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to have the project continue going through the State Board of Education, expected to go over potential approval for funding concerns with the ICCU arena in the most recent State Board meeting. Um, The ICCU arena will be reconsidered in a special State Board of Education meeting in mid-March. By the way, all of this information is via Chad Kripe from Idaho Statesman. Uh, But at this point, the surprising news is that on February 11th, we learned that the University of Idaho did not advance the uh, beginning of building of the arena or the finalizing um, of the funding procedures for the basketball-only facility, which feels like it's not great news. But in actuality, what does it mean? Uh, At this point, the goal is for the arena to open for the 2021-2022 season. And it feels, from a distance, uh, like there are some negative things going on with the arena itself. Part of that's because the original estimate from 2016 was that the arena would cost 30 million. That estimate is now up to 48.5 million. Now that itself is not exactly a problem. Uh, raising the, well, it's a problem when you have to come with 18.5 extra million dollars. But the fact that costs have gone up, it's, it is not as though the University of Idaho and the administration had some sort of um, poor poor strategic uh, planning, or it's not as though the university face plans or something like that. It's that it took time. To raise money for the arena. At present, we have raised 40 of the 48.5 million required. In the time since the 2016 estimate of 30 million, part of what has driven the cost up is just construction because as it takes longer to raise the money, and the money has been raised overwhelmingly private, uh, including a $10 million donation from ICCU. that's that's an Idaho credit union uh, donated $10 million to have the naming rights. You've seen ICCU out front at football games where they they usually have a tent up and they are giving out free swag. I I don't remember what their swag is, but ICCU has been present with the University of Idaho in terms of supporting sports for quite some time. They donated $10 million to have the naming rights to the facility. That's where a lot of the money came from, but it's taken time to, to raise the $40 million that we have. It's not a secret if you follow Vandal Sports that donations to the Vandal Scholarship Foundation have been down over the last couple of years. Now, this is a separate entity, a separate, um, separate piece to raise money money for from the Vandal Scholarship Fund. But uh, in the two years, it's taken to raise the $40 million. In, constru- in the two years, it's taken to raise that $40 million construction costs have gone up and also the architects, and I read this in a separate Idaho Statesman article, forgive me for not having the date, the initial design for the arena did not have a ramp that it turns out is required to get materials to the floor of the arena by just simply driving in. And that change has required the cost to go up. Now in terms of what should we all understand this to mean? Well, it isn't bad news yet. The, uh, the plan, according to the article from Chad Cripe, is that at the special State Board of Education meeting in March, this item will come back up. The plan to, to help get the final $8.5 million includes doubling a student fee for facility use. Right now, the student fee for the building of the facility and or facility use is $15 per student. That fee would double to $30. Now, the reason this also has to go to the board, the state board of education, is that university presidents and university administrators can't arbitrarily raise fees. The, these things do have to be approved. And at this point, there is no news that the raising, the the doubling of that student fee, is expected to meet opposition from the state board. At least Chad Crib did not cite any potential antagonism in his article, so. We're gonna see what that means for finishing up the arena. Um, I know that I'm moderately concerned about making sure we get this facility done. It's it's been no news for Vandal fans for a long time that a basketball only facility would be a great addition for us. We just don't we right now have an okay basketball facility in relation to the rest of the conference. You know about Four or five teams have something similar to what we have, where our basketball court is inside a dome or some larger facility that was not created for basketball only. Montana State has a setup like that. Idaho State, we all know about Holt Arena, is set up similar to the Kibbe Dome. Northern Arizona plays under the walk-up Sky Dome, which is similar as well. Uh, The difference between our setup and Idaho State and Northern Arizona is that we do at least have the curtains partitioning the dome so that the cavern of empty seats that we are not selling because we're not trying to sell those seats isn't visible from the court. Montana state is similar in their facility. They have some curtains that separate some of the area that is not used for seating. Uh, But if we get a new facility, that's a pretty big deal for basketball in terms of having something else to sell for recruits. Our new facility would Based off the designs that I've seen, and you can see those at the Idaho Statesman, really just Google Idaho Statesman ICCU Arena. Um, the the artistic rendering so far, the, the place looks quite nice. You know, the, the style is to have exposed wood. The artistic theme is supposed to connect with Idaho's history of the timber industry. The current layout for the, according to the representation that you can see, is that the gym itself would have seating behind both baskets on one of the sidelines there would be two levels of seating um, that that'd be some combination of seats with backs and bleacher seating on the opposite sideline there would be one large section of seating and then the box suites above similar to what we have right now at the Kibby dome where after the renovation with the natural lighting that also Came with box seating. I mean that that exists right now in the Kibinu, and it, it, you can buy those seats at Cal Spectrum as well. But the renderings look it it looks like it'd be a, a real nice facility. It would hold somewhere between three thousand two hundred, sorry, it would hold somewhere between three thousand seven hundred and four thousand two hundred people, depending on sitting versus standing room only. Um, it, it's a lot to be to be excited about if you're a fan. But we do need to get that fundraising done now if we have March roll around. And the arena is not approved, then it's a good question what that means because we have that forty million dollars raised, but the longer it takes to begin, the more likely the costs are to grow, which means the more we have to fundraise, uh, which means, as you guys can see, that's a cycle of the same thing we want to buy or pay for costing more and more and more, both in terms of just raw dollars, but also in terms of time spent soliciting the donation So. The hope should be if you're a fan, you know, we have 40 of the 48.5 million raised. Uh, we got to hope that this thing gets started pretty quick. I don't think there's any reason to think that just because it was delayed a little bit that this means we're not going to get the facility. Cause again, we, we have $40 million that $40 million's is not going anywhere, but we're going to have to watch the news and wait until around mid-March or into April before we get approval that this thing is going up. But again, the goal is for this stove for the 2021 season. So if that's going to happen, that's got to start pretty quick. If you've been to the football games, you can tell that's going to be a project. You know, right now, the, the place that the arena will go is a large grass field in front of the Kibbe Dome. That's an important place in, ter- in terms of parking for the law school, because it'll be right next to where the University of Idaho Law School is. We'll have multiple football seasons of construction to get through, so it's important for us to get that started uh, sooner rather than later, and I say that. Now, there, there, I doubt that a person listening to this podcast is not ecstatic about the new arena coming, but let's just say for argument's sake that there is someone here who, who thinks that that $40 million should be spent elsewhere. The money was raised specifically for the arena. It's not going anywhere. Um, So if you don't like the idea of the arena, you should really hope we get it started sooner rather than later, because the later we get it started, the more money is going to be required to build. You know, to me, it's not that dissimilar to if you wish Idaho had never left the FBS, meaning you're a person who wants Idaho to eventually get an invitation from a conference to move into the FBS. Well, then you really need to be all aboard on us succeeding in the big sky, because until there's conference realignment, and there's incentive for an FBS conference to give us an invite, we're not going anywhere. And with our history of not being great at FBS, there's reason to believe that if we're going to get an invite for an existing conference, we, we've got to show that we can build a program. And our program is FCS. So if you want us to move up, you have to hope that we start turning around in, in football, in the big sky. Well, same dynamics here with this gym. If you don't like the um, amount of money being spent on athletics, then you really need to hope we don't delay this any further than we currently are separate piece of news relating to the big sky last week we talked about reporting from madison guernsey out of the idaho statesman that the that idaho state university had investigated allegations that coach rob Fennessy had engaged in some form of battery with player uh, when he hammer punched the player multiple times at halftime in a loss at cal poly last season now the basic story of that is that was an important game for Idaho State. They ended up losing. Idaho State was in line to make the FCS playoffs, but they face plan in their last two games, lost at Cal Poly, which really killed them. Then they had a final game at Weber State, and you know Weber State finished in the final eight in the FCS playoffs. So I probably don't need to explain to you that Weber State did not have difficulty finishing off Idaho State's season, and they ended up not making the playoffs. Well, that game against Cal Poly, went trailing at halftime, Is alleged that Rob Fennessy became physical now, not in not physical in terms of like fighting or an altercation or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, The accusations from both sides, including the player, are that the coach hammer punched the player on the shoulder pad as a motivational technique. The player, according to the player, the player told the coach, Hey, I, I don't like doing that, and the player waited for the halftime. The halftime talk to end so he could talk to Coach Fennessey in private, and the player alleges that Fennessey then punched him again, and this left large bruising underneath his shoulder, which the player posted to Twitter. You can find all this if you want to do a deep dive through Twitter. But uh, after that, Idaho State investigated Rob Fennessey. Their investigation uh, came to the conclusion that Fennessey did nothing, that they are not okay with. And the separate piece that was odd about this is it was being investigated by California police out of Cal Cal Poly, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And the news from February 18th is that the California police will not be charging Rob Fennessy with any sort of battery for the incident with the player, or maybe it's a non-incident based off the law enforcement definition because they're charging him with nothing. So in short, Rob Fennessy has been cleared, and there's really no news for in terms of does this change Idaho State's coaching? No. Rob Fennessy will be back. The story looks like it's over. Um, at At least as far as we know. Unless this turns into something administrative, which there's no reason to believe it will. The Big Sky Football story of the week is that there is no story out of Idaho State. Now transitioning over to basketball. Idaho played two games last week. We played at home against Northern Colorado, and on the road at Cheney playing Eastern Washington. Idaho lost both those games. We lost to Northern Colorado 47-75. to Leading scorer for us was Trayvon Allen. He scored 15 points on 5-9 shooting, grabbed 4 rebounds. Second-leading scorer was Scott Blakeney. Scott scored 12 points, shooting 5-7 from the field, grabbed 8 rebounds. The rest of the team shot 25% from the field, a combined 7-28 of 28 from the entire rest of the team. And we turn the ball over 22 times. That's how you lose by 28 at home. That's how you score 47 total points at home. Uh, Jordan Davis, a potential Big Sky MVP, certainly a a first-team All-Big Sky player. He's a point guard for Northern Colorado. He led the Bears with 16 points. And against Eastern Washington, we lost 57-82, another blowout loss. Cam Tyson led the way for us, scoring 18 points, shooting 4-9 from 3. Jared Rodriguez scored 11 points, picked up three rebounds. Scott Blakeney had another nice game, scored 12 points, grabbed three rebounds. Trayvon Allen, our season's leading scorer, scored seven points, shot three and ten from the field. Mason Peatling, a post for Eastern, led the Eagles with 16 points and 13 rebounds. Eastern was playing without their leading scorer, sophomore guard Jacob Davison, who's out with an undisclosed leg injury. So we have no idea when Davison will be getting back. That could impact our tournament how the big sky tournament looks and where does that leave idaho well right now we're at the bottom of the big sky conference and we're going to stay there idaho's 1-13 of the big sky 4-21 overall overall we have two total division one wins this year one in 2018 at north dakota one in 2019 at home against eastern washington that was event on monday uh, the top of the conference we have montana at 12-2 19-6 overall northern colorado at 11-4 in conference 17-9 overall Weaver State's 10 and 5, 16 and 10 overall. Montana State's 9 and 6, 12 and 13 overall. And the final bye is Eastern final bye in the conference tournament. Our top 5 teams are rewarded with a bye in the first round of the Big Sky tournament in Boise. Eastern Washington 8 and 6 in conference, 10 and 15 overall. But back to our Vandals. We are riding an 11 game losing streak. In conference, we are 11th in scoring offense. That's last, 63.3 points a game is what we score. We're 11th in scoring defense, allowing 79.1 points per game. We have the worst scoring margin in the league at 15.8. That's that's how much we lose by on average, 15.8. I did some research on our scoring margin because we're at the point, one of the things that's tough about doing a sports podcast like this is usually in the world of, let's say, ESPN or Fox Sports, if a team's not very good, We just don't talk about them for more than about 12 seconds. You know, if you listen to the Colin Coward show, or if you watch PTI, they weren't spending a ton of time on the Cleveland Browns last two seasons ago when when Cleveland Browns won 0-16. They might have just referenced the Browns being bad, and then then you go away from that. But what's hard about us is for, for us to ignore the bad team. That means there's just no podcast. And we're, we're trying to make sure Idaho fans have a place they know they can go for Idaho-centric sports content. So what do we do? We keep talking. And to find something to talk about, I researched scoring margin in the Big Sky. Now, the Big Sky Conference website keeps archive stats dating back to the 2000-2001 season. So the first season that began in the 21st century is how far back their archive stats go. The University of Idaho right now, has the worst scoring margin, negative 15.8, in the 21st century in Big Sky Basketball. Southern Utah and Sacramento State each had one year between 2000 and 2019, where those teams had a scoring margin of around negative 13. Otherwise, the worst is we had, I believe Sac State had another negative 11. But Idaho is entering a level of bad that is truly historic. Um, it, one of the, the things I've been trying to do is figure out how do we contextualize what's going on with our basketball team. You all spend a little bit of time going over the in-game stuff like we always do, but you know, when you get blown out by 28 points, when in two games your team scores a combined 104 points while giving up 157, There isn't that much nuance you really need to understand. I mean, we we just got killed on both ends of the floor. So how do we contextualize exactly where Idaho is? Well, we do research, and this team truly, I I don't mean this. I don't say this with any glee. I don't mean this to put down the players. Um, I don't mean this to kind of revel in disappointment. This is a historically bad basketball team. The worst scoring margin in the 21st century in the Big Sky Conference for men. That's a team that's just doing nothing. Uh, nothing well, that is. Some more stats to help us out. We are 11th. That's last place in field goal percentage. And what we shoot, we shoot 4 to 3.4% of the field last in conference. We are worst in rebounding margin at negative 6.1. We are worst in turnover margin at negative 4.57 per game, which means the other team. Uh, we turn the ball over four and a half times more per game than the other team, which is potentially... 14 or so points that the other team has a chance to score, depending on if they make twos or threes off those. Very often turnovers yield easier shots. We are last in the league in assist-to-turnover ratio. We are 10th in attendance at 852 per game. We have had a total of 6,820 people attending the eight home games we played this season. As a reference point, Weaver State has an average attendance of 6,786 per game. Montana averages 4,390 per home game, and we've had a total of 6,820 this year. And and by the way, there's a chance that that number is inflated. The attendance figures sometimes they reference tickets purchased, not the number of people who scan tickets. I don't know which one of those two the Big Sky website lists. But according to what I see from the stands when watching the games on Pluto TV, and according to the postings on All Vandals, which those are, of course, not scientific in nature, but they usually do reference an accurate experience on had. averaging 852 per game might be generous. We truly might be closer to six in terms of actual butts and seats. 600, that is. But we're not done. You know, and... Our defense has been one of the things that's hardest to talk about on this team because we really just do essentially nothing well on defense against Northern Colorado. Now, by the way, jump back step. I use the statistic of defensive rating because I feel it is a simple analytic metric that just about anyone can understand. Defensive rating is how many points per 100 possessions a team allows. I think it's a superior stat To overall points per game, because points per game can be inflated or deflated based on how fast or how how slowly a team plays, because a team that plays a faster pace will just generate more possessions. It'll generate more shots based off math. Just a few of those shots will go in. So teams that play play at a faster pace are more likely to score more points. Teams that play at a slower pace, the inverse, are more likely to score fewer points. Defensive rating takes pace out of the equation and just quantifies how efficient is your defense. So you can understand either as the raw number, so against Northern Colorado, we had a defensive rating of 117.2. The understood baseline, of uh, what's a potentially okay defense is 100. Now you can either understand the raw number as okay for hundred possessions, Northern Colorado was, would have scored 117 against us, or you can just divide that number by 100 And that tells you the number of points per individual possession. So 117.2 as the overall rating, that's per 100 possessions. Or we allow 1.17 points per possession or per every single time Northern Colorado has the ball. They score 1.17 points based off the the map. Our offensive rating against Northern Colorado, 73.4. 117. Is is a it's just a bad, a very bad defensive rating. It's indicative of a team that's given up easy points. is indicative of a team that is not getting stops. is indicative of a team that's likely turning the ball over, like we did, you know, against Northern Colorado. We turned the ball over our first four possessions. Offensive rating of seventy three point four. That is catastrophically bad. That means you know we would need three halves to get to around one hundred points. Whereas you know, based off the of math for UNC, one hundred possessions they'd be at one hundred seventeen points. Uh, against Eastern Washington, our defensive rating was 126.2. And that was without Eastern Washington having their leading scorer. Uh, Jacob Davison, he's averaging 19 points a game in conference. They didn't have that guy. The guy who replaced him in the starting lineup was averaging 5 points a game. And Eastern, had an offensive rating, the offensive rating they earned or the de- defensive rating they allowed, it was 126.2. On the year, we have had a defensive rating of 110 or higher, and 110 is bad. Uh, what the stats on defensive rating, they climb quickly. So if, for example, if we had a defensive rating of 90, that's a strong defense, uh, not, not allowing a whole point per possession, you know, allowing 0.9 points per possession. That's a very strong defense. You know, a lot of big sky teams have around 70 possessions a game. Uh, so that's a team playing at an adequate pace, not scoring 70. If we have a defensive rating of 90 defensive rating of 110, you're climbing pretty fast. Um, Defense rating 110 is quite bad. The The curve is exponential. We've had a defensive rating 110 or higher 10 times, and a defensive rating of 120 or higher five separate times. You know, one of my concerns that when I've talked about it on the podcast is that uh, we knew the team wasn't going to be that great when we were young. You know, Back in podcast one, I was projecting 16 wins on the year based off of us having a soft non-conference schedule, which we had. Good Lord, was that bad? Was that off? You know, defense defensive ring 125 separate times some of those recent this team's regressing they're a team when you watch them you know this isn't exactly diagnostic i don't have intelligence to say this it looks like a team that has tuned out the coach and it looks like a team where a lot of the guys know there's a good chance they're not coming back next year we'll get to the dynamic of that later but you know this is kind of a joyless crew you know, against Eastern Washington, we trailed by seven at the end of the first half. Which, by the way, if you trail by seven each half, you lose by 14. That's not a close game. And we look good for us, trailing by seven, scoring 27 and a half, which gets me to offensive rating. You know, this team has shown the ability to play offense at times. We had an offensive rating of 124.3. That was our season high against Weber State. Weber State's a good team. We did that back in 2018. Yeah, in our 14 games, uh, big sky games. We've had a total of five nights with an offensive rating of 100 or higher and 10 nights below 100 and seven nights with an offensive rating below 90. Again, that's just a team that is doing just about nothing well. And to try to put this simply, what I see when I watch our team play, we, in spite of having an overwhelming number of guards in comparison to non-guard wings, forwards, or posts, we play at a slow pace. We often take shots towards the end of the shot clock we take a long time to even advance the ball the three-point line and that's with having strong ball handlers we clog the paint for our penetrators with non-scoring posts it's just an offense right now that looks completely designed to prevent creative players from scoring and that's what we would really need to do right now because we don't have go-to post scores we do we do not have size that that is going to get us points in that way. And by the way, you know, this is kind of an old school line of thinking that you should only that you should try to go and establish the post first. That works if you have strong post players. But part of why the NBA is moving away from post scoring in the way it has is one, just being big doesn't mean you get a good shot. Being big in the post means you can get a good shot if you have a very small guy on you who's not strong enough to handle you. But if you are not a skilled post player those post shots are just bad contested shots that the defense wants you to take. And our offense right now looks like it tries to do that. You know, against Eastern, we were trying to post Trayvon Allen. You know, I watched this. I watched the games. I look at what we're doing. We don't, we don't run any sort of creative sets to get Cameron Tyson open looks on threes against Eastern. When he made his threes, it really, he just caught it and shot it. Some of them were contested. Some of them were five feet behind the three when the game was over already. We, we don't, we don't balance the floor, and balance the floor can mean one of two things. It can mean the floor is spread, or it can also mean we put a higher number of players on the opposite side of where the ball is to create openings for the side where the ball is. That, that's what a lot of teams do when they do pick and rolls on the wing, is three of the guys will be on the opposite side of the court. They will be moving to generate attentions. You know, There are, there is, there are plays that are, that are being run. There are sets and cycles that the players go through. They're not just on the other side doing nothing. But we weight one side of the floor more heavy than the other because then the pick and roll situation, if the defense doubles the dribbler, the, the dribbler doesn't have to make a very good pass for the post to have an open shot for a layup or for a dunk. If you stagger the floor like that, if the team does not switch or does not trap on the screen, you have a lane to the hoop for your guard. Or when you unbalance the floor like that one it creates pick and pop opportunities for the screener to shoot a three which is why jared rodriguez and trayvon allen three seem like a brain dead eight uh, sorry jared rodriguez and trayvon allen pick and roll seem like a brain dead thing for us to run from the wing that we do not run but if you in that situation if you if you have the floor more balanced if the post and the guard switch on the screen then you can have jared rodriguez go down the post and Likely have an advantage, and that's where a post shot makes sense because you have a huge size advantage. You know, Idaho doesn't do stuff like that. Uh, we, you know, if you're a guard, I, I just don't understand the appeal of playing in the offense. And based off what we've heard out of Don Verlin, that's not changing. So, you know, I, I really don't expect much much change for us this year. We got six games. That's who we are. We're a bad team. We're regressing. For us to win, we have to shoot incredibly well, and the other team has to play poorly. That's more or less where we're at. And you know, it's a to really quantify that, the four main analytic rankings that exist. Um, They measure all 353 NCAA Division I teams. Ken Palm has us at number 350 out of 353. NCAA Net has us at 341 out of 353. RPI has us at 341 out of 353. And Sports Reference has us at 345 out of 353. I made this comparison on Twitter, but if the NCAA tournament were this existed in this bizarre world where it was the bottom 64 teams competing for the crown of the best worst team in the nation. Idaho would be a 15 seed. That's just not where we thought we'd be. And the, the reality of what we're looking at, long term for us, Verlin's probably going to be back next year. You know, we 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 know that the department has a deficit that they have to make up. Which it's hard to make up your deficit when you are paying for two coaches. And if Verlin's back. And we have a team playing this poorly. Like, even if these guys are young, we can expect to see a ton of new faces next year. Because if Verlin has not had his contract renewed, which there's no way he's going to have his contract renewed after a season like this, he'll be coaching for for his job next year. There's no way that he's going to just bank on growth from these players. And by the way, that's not a put down. His job is to have a good team every year. What he has shown us with the group of guys he has is a ton of these guys aren't ready to play. And they might, a ton of them, might be two or three years away. We only have three guys in conference um, averaging 10 or more, which by the way, I mean, that sorry, that, that distribution is not awful. Um, if you have guys averaging, you know, 17 and 16 points a game. Our leading score in conference is Trayvon Allen. average averages 13.9. Cam Tyson averages about 13.2. We only have three guys averaging in between 10 and 13. We have one guy who averages more than five. Other than that, there's not much. So if, if Verlin... And there's no interpretation where this is the wrong thing to do. you know the team plays this bad, a ton of these guys are years away from producing. You can expect to see a lot of new faces next year, which is not what we were expecting heading into this year. We expected to struggle early on and see some growth. But if we're regressing like we are, I don't know what else there is to do. And if Verlin is going to be stubborn with having the system he has, which is just awful for a guard-heavy team, what he should do then... Is recruit a team that is not guard heavy. Now, if you remember our team last year, we finished in second place. We we weren't really a guard heavy team. We we played uh, really about th- th- really three guys who were essentially posts: B.J. Blake, Nate Sherwood, and Jordan Scott, who certainly was not a guard by any means in terms of in terms of ball handling skills. You know, this team, when we've had dial trouble, we have to play we've got to play four guards at times. That's different. So, what does a coach do? When, when their system and players don't match, well, either you change the system, which everyone's not doing, or you recruit new guys. So it, when he's coaching for his, his job next year, expect to see a ton of new faces. You know, there's there's not too much else to go over there. You know, we have, and, and by the way, the, the tone of this is different guys, because like I said, I have to talk about the team, but if I go on for an hour, it's hard to not go on for an hour about this team just being awful. I mean, we've kind of been like we were in football, you know, the, the big problem with football which maybe this could pique some interest, so, so we're at least talking about something else. You know, The problem we have with football is we had just an awful defense, but then our offense couldn't make up for it on the other end. You know, we, we had a season high against FBS or FCS teams. I'm not counting Western New Mexico because they're Division II. By the way, uh, the FCS playoff committee doesn't count Western New Mexico either. Our season high was 31 points. Well, if your team in football can only score 31 points, you need to have a very strong defense. But if you're a team with the worst defense in the league, if you're going to be competitive, you better have an elite offense. If you don't, what you do is you lose most of your games. And that's what we did in football. Well, same here in basketball. We have an awful, awful defense. And we have an offense that has had games where it does well. But our offense has to be elite. And it's only been good five times in confidence. So when you have an awful defense and your offense, which to me, you know, this is a design thing. We we far too often have non-scoring, non-scoring players clogging the lane and there's nowhere for the guards to go. We get bad shots by often what looks like design. Not that Berlin says like, "Hey, let's get a bad shot," but I, I just think it's a strategic flaw based off the pieces he has. Yeah, you know, what does that team do? Well, they lose. So, because I I don't really want to try to get into unmitigated negativity, I, we're going to be a little bit shorter this week because, you know, like I said earlier, you know, what does ESPN do if the team's bad? Well, they don't. They don't talk about it. They talk about LeBron James. They talk about the big player stories. They talk about intrigue like that. Well, we don't have that. So, what do we do? Well. Big networks don't talk about it. We'll, we'll go over the things we think are important. And, um, you know, we're going to hope we have some positive stuff to go over later. We have two games upcoming this week, Thursday at Northern Arizona. That's Thursday, February 21st at 530. That's a different tip-off time than usual. But part of that's because of where we're playing in Flagstaff, Arizona, different time zone. So tip-off at 530, that's on Pluto TV. In our first matchup with NAU, that was in Moscow. We lost that game 73- to 86, um, which sounds like it was close, but, but it wasn't. You know our defensive rating against Northern Arizona was 121.1, 1, which means they scored without really trying too much. We had a good offensive night for us with an offensive rating of 102.8, but that's an example of us squandering one of our solid offensive nights by having a defense that is just. Just off, um, our leading score in that game was Jared Rodriguez. He had 19. Cam Tyson had 13. You know, Northern Arizona. And by the way, we play Southern Utah on Saturday. Uh, that tip off Saturday, February 23rd, on Pluto TV is at 1 p.m. So, matinee. We lost to Southern Utah, 64 to 75, in Moscow. Both of these teams are interesting to look at because they return almost all of their their main contributors. You know, for Northern Arizona, their top two players, Bernie Andre and Carlos Hines, as well as shooter Ted McCree. Uh, McCree's a junior, but uh, Bernie Andre and Carlos Hines, they're sophomores. Those guys are contributing this year. You know, Northern Arizona, they're not good in conference. They're 7-13, but they've at least seen a little progress this year compared to last season. And they're young players are at least giving giving them some reason to say, hey, maybe, you know, maybe maybe something will come out of this. You know, Bernie Andre, in conference, averaging 14 points a game, 8.5 rebounds. He's a guy who looks like he could be all-conference next year based off people graduating. Carlos Hines is averaging 5.2 assists per game. Now, he needs to get a jump shot. The guy's shooting 36% from the field. But those are guys we're going to see over the next few years. You know, Idaho's not the only young team. Now, no no other team's young like Idaho. But Northern Arizona returns their main players. You know, on the season, the, the top seven or eight scorers from Northern Arizona are all coming back next year. Their top three are all coming back. Their top two scorers are sophomores. They're coming back. And they've had more produ- They've had more success, more production than, than we've got out of our youth. The story with Southern Utah, is, you know, it's really quite similar. You know, Southern Utah, they're different. They're a transfer-heavy team. They do lose their leading conference scorer in Brandon Better. But their second lead scorer, Cameron Lujuton, voice state transfer, he's coming back. Um, Andre Adams, Arizona state transfer, he's a sophomore, he's coming back. Harrison Butler, freshman, he's coming back. Jacob Callaway, junior, he's coming coming back. Dre Marine, sophomore, he's coming back. You know, Southern Utah, they're seven and eight in conference, 12 and 12. They're returning just about everyone. So I, I know we, we do focus on the fact that Idaho is young, but we're not the only team that has guys coming back is why I say, you know, if, if Idaho's going to be good next year, we're going to see a ton of new faces. Because a lot of teams, like Southern Utah, who is not great, they're 7-8 in conference. They return everyone. So how how is Idaho supposed to grow in relation to these teams if they return all their players too? All their players that are doing significantly better than us. You get new players. Now in the, the game we played against Southern Utah last, another one we lost at home, four Southern Utah players scored in double figures, and Audrey Adams in particular killed us 23 points, 14 rebounds, shot nine and nine from the field. Our leading scorer was uh, Cam Tyson, shot seven of 16 from the field, six, 12, and three, scored 20 points. Uh, so you know, what's the preview look like again? Man, it's hard to be hard to be st- to be uh, sophisticated when we're as bad as we've been. It's we have to not be catastrophically dropping bad at, offense, at on defense, and we have to hit shots on offense. You know, we likely we don't have a setup where we're going to have a ton of easy shots through penetration because the adrenaline system doesn't look like it's going to change. And that's where we are. You know, this is this is actually uh, in some ways just frustrating like football. You know, I want to talk about football for a second without getting into the – I mean, we'll get into it in a little bit. Why not? We'll have some fun. Everyone knows last year the big football story other than the fact that it was our first season of being in the big sky, which I feel – going over Big Sky should just be its own podcast. Maybe Chris and I will do that sometime. Uh, we, Chris and I have a little bit different perspectives on, on that, uh, but we both contribute to the podcast, so we obviously are supporting Vandal Sports. We obviously want us to do well with Big Sky, so we, we don't differ there at all. Uh, but it, it could be fun for, Chris, for me and Chris to talk that out sometime as a big topic. Uh, we'll see. But other than the Big Sky conference affiliation itself being a big story last year, um, the big story for us was quarterback. And the cliff notes was we were we were told that we would have a quarterback split, and we did have a quarterback split where Mason Petrino started and Colton Richardson played some. And from my view as a fan, I watched all the games. Uh, what I saw is Petrino got a huge, huge percent of the snaps in relation to Colton. Colton really only had extended snaps at Idaho State. He, Played quite well at Idaho State. I believe he played as well at Idaho, better at Idaho State than uh, Mason played, in ter- if we factor in stylistically um, in terms of what it opened up for us. Um, I, I feel that Colton played better at Idaho State than Mason played against any team the entire season. But uh, the story that we had throughout football season was hey, what's going on with the quarterback? It felt from the fan base and from many people like we were needlessly that at quarterback. Uh, playing Mason because Mason has real limitations. Now, I am going put. I don't want anyone to think that to be putting the person down. Every person who plays on the football team works extremely hard to keep their roster spot, whether they see the field for a single snap or not. A lot of those football players work harder playing football than almost anyone in the world works at anything else their entire lives. So when, when we go over this stuff, I, it's important to differentiate. We're talking about play. Uh, we're talking about coaching decisions. And again, Mason wasn't calling his own number. Coach Petrino was the one to put him out there, which is why I want to focus on play only. Uh, because again, as a listener, if you're a scholarship player, if coach tells you to go out, you got to go out. And if, you, if you're out on the field, you're supposed to just give your best. That's what we ask. That's it. And I have no doubt that Mason gave his best. But the story of football is we were needlessly bad at offense because a lot of people felt, and I was one of these people, felt that we, we chose the wrong guy. Now, this became complicated, because as Colton had injuries and sickness as well uh, that prevented him from suiting up some games, well, who else was supposed to play quarterback? Mason likely gave us the best chance to win games when Colton wasn't playing, so who else, really, who else are we going to play? Um, I, I think it's good that the fre- that our freshmen retained red shirts, although they, based off the red shirt rule, they could have played some more. But certainly, you know, connecting this to basketball, the football team had an awful defense and that needs to be fixed. That cannot be ignored when pinning the results of the four and eight football team. But we have to acknowledge we had an awful defense. The thing that people were hung up on was it felt like we were needlessly bad on offense before Richardson was hurt. Because we were starting a guy who had serious limitations, who looked like it was not particularly hard to game plan against. Well, in basketball, we have an awful defense that has to get better. And that's one of the things that, you know, bad defense can be a feature of youth because there's a lot of decision-making. There's some strength. There's also some just basketball intelligence that older players have over you when you're a freshman or sophomore. That can get better with age. But when we talk about our basketball season, we can't ignore that we have an, We have a league-worst defense. But our offense at times feels like it's needlessly bad, too, with having all of our skill is perimeter-oriented on this team. And we don't – our offense pl- – please, guys, watch for five minutes. Don't watch the ball. Just watch the entire court. It'll feel like you see people moving. So just to make it easy on you, watch the entire area inside the three-point line when Idaho plays. And pay attention to how many Idaho players are always inside the three-point line and always near the key. Now, when you see the Idaho players there, keep in mind they likely have a defensive player there with them. So for every Idaho player you see inside the three-point line, multiply that number by two. So if you see two Idaho players multiply by two, there's probably four people total in that area. Well, our skilled guys like Trayvon Allen, our skilled guys like Cam Tyson, because Cam Tyson's not getting enough J.J. Redick kind of shots off the screen – for those guys to get good looks, they have to put the ball on the floor. Well, you got four bodies. That, there's nowhere to go. You know, it's a miracle that that uh, Cam Tyson is scoring the 13-points game he is. It's a miracle to me that Trayvon's scoring the almost 14-points game in conference that he is. And the frustrating part from the fan angle is it just feels like we're needlessly we're, we are needlessly bad there. But, you know, we got six games left, two home games left. We host Sac State we host Portland State in our next cycle games. Two home games left for the people who are still tuning in. And the, the, I guess part of the, the concern for me here, and I got to circle this back to football. Without going behind the scenes of the podcast, guys, independent podcasting like we do is not something that pays you $60,000 a year. This, right now, independent podcasting, any independent podcast is done in addition to whatever the people do in the day. The people who take part in independent podcasting, it's like Montana Mint. A lot of those people have day jobs. A lot of people have families. So they are carving time to research these, their teams. They are carving time to record the podcast. They are carving time to try to practice their performance, which is all that means. These are people who really care about their team or their subject getting exposure and being good. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're in the same boat as us. But we record this podcast because we like big sky sports, because Idaho's in the big sky. We want Idaho to get media coverage because it's our team. It's more fun when Idaho and the team we like, which for us is the University of Idaho, the events are more fun when it feels like there's a bit of a circus around it. And for me, when I get to contribute to a little of the attention around basketball games or football games, that's fun. That's part of why we do the hashtag AskTATC. I mean, we want you guys to contribute. We want you guys to push the show in the direction you think it would be fun to listen but I am really concerned right now with how awful football season went and how basketball season, men's basketball, is just choosing. Well, not cho- well in some ways, choosing. But uh, men's basketball is just trying to prove there truly is no bottom to Idaho sports. And, I mean, keep in mind, you know, you could lob this critique to me that I'm not doing a women's basketball pod- podcast. Our women's basketball team is our best program right now, except for maybe track and field but in terms of sports people typically watch. No question. Women's basketball is best. Women's basketball has a chance to make the NCAA tournament this year. But the big sports people pay attention to overwhelmingly are football and men's basketball. It is concerning to me the level of enthusiasm we are sapping from the Idaho fan base, from piling on after a bad football season with just uh, historically bad, remember, the worst scoring margin in the 21st century in the Big Sky Conference. Historically bad basketball season after a real bad football season. And I, I do have real concerns about what is how long does it take to rebuild enthusiasm. Now in football, uh, you know it might be better in that season's shorter. The games are events that some people want to go to anyway, so there is a chance that football within a single season could rebuild their momentum. Um, and we have to hope that's the case. You know, uh, thank you to Pete Isaacson for scheduling that extra game against Eastern Washington, which good board, hope are competitive. That's September twenty-first. But football has a chance to build momentum within the season uh, just because of the culture of football in the United States. Basketball can take years to build a successful program. Now, you want to look at a team like Gonzaga. Gonzaga, before their run of making the NCAA tournament forever, Gonzaga wasn't selling out every night. You can read about how the University of Gonzaga as a whole, I'm not talking basketball, I'm talking about the entire university prior to their team making the NCAA tournament runs that are now just part of the Gonzaga culture, that university was struggling financially. And basketball and the exposure that gave them really turned that around. But that took years to build enthusiasm. That took years to create a following that would travel around. Idaho had three solid seasons consecutively with Verlin winning um, about, I believe it was 21-19, then 22 or 23, 23 games in the three seasons preceding our current four-win affair. Even in that season last year, our third consecutive pretty good year, we weren't selling out the spectrum. Our best night was 85% attendance against uh, WSU early in the season. Now we won the game by 30, which is great news. But even with that run of being pretty good, we, we weren't building the enthusiasm a lot of people would like to see. And the way you do that is you have to win. You have to turn the games into an event, and you do that by winning. And you do that by moving to the NCAA tournament. You do that by doing it multiple times. I don't know how long it's going to take to rehabilitate enthusiasm. You know, we're down to averaging 800 and about 46, 800 and change people per game. That, that could be years before we get up to, you know, 80% attendance. Again, with any sort of regularity. You know, the new arena is going to be three thousand seven hundred to four thousand two hundred. We got to hope we turn that team around, and just the arena itself makes that kind of an event. Because, man, uh, I got real questions about what we're doing to the overall enthusiasm of the program. You know, I am going to stay here. I am going to continue being a vandal. I am going to continue recording the podcast, delivering content that I think is worth listening to, that I think is interesting. But we're at the point now where, I mean, do we even talk basketball? Like, what's the point? The team's awful. The team continues to be awful. We haven't had a single digit loss since. January 5th, we've had three total games in the entire Big Sky season that were either wins or single-digit losses. That's three total. The rest are blowouts. Where else do we go? That's what I'm going to say. Send us your hashtag, Ask guys, because we'll keep doing this. Uh, But, you know, I can't imagine breaking down all these games ad nauseum when we're we're getting killed. I mean, how many times do do I go over? Hey, our offensive system is awful for our talent. Our defense stops no one. Our defense gives up easy points all the time. Um, doesn't matter if it's zone, if it's zone or man. Um, although a, a specific critique I do have of Berlin defenses, this is critique of pack line type defenses, they yield threes. Well, we live in a world where teams are fine shooting more threes than they were 15 years ago. This is just the direction of basketball. Um, the pack line is eventually going to be outdated. And by the way, some people believe it's outdated now um, because it it is designed to let... to let teams shoot threes now. The goal is to have them be contested threes, but watch Idaho. Teams get open threes; they don't have to try very hard. That's a defensive strategy. Now, there there are also problems with execution that that having upperclassmen could change. But there are strategic issues there. We got two, but that's, that's it, guys. Really, we we got six more games on the year, and then we're done. Then we'll be looking more towards uh, maybe sporadic content coming out. Send us hashtag, hashtag Ask the ATCs via Twitter. Because I think it could be fun to have some big, big podcast topics for us to turn into discussions or break down. But we'll see. Um, I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thanks for staying with us. People are doing it. If you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, make sure to email us at club at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter. We do have a uh, process of filtering or sifting through whether the potential sponsor is the right for, right group for us and us the right group for them. So if you're interested, contact us. We'll be back next week. More content on basketball. Hopefully we have some more football news because in a lot of ways talking about football is more fun right now than talking about basketball anyway. Big news for me. We have my next edition of the Montana Mint Deep Dive coming out. It'll be available the day you can download this podcast. So if you're interested, check us out on Twitter at Tubbs the Club. There'll probably be a link posted there. You can follow me on Twitter. It'll be posted there at Brian Marso. Or you can just go to montana-mint.com to read. Otherwise, thanks for coming. We'll keep the podcast coming out for you, and like always, go for